Welcome back once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, ranting at you in the wee hours of July 22nd, 2023. As always, from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side. And we are opening this rant with another hopeful sign of resistance. Last week, we cheered on the Hollywood writers and now actors who are striking over, among other demands, the use of artificial intelligence by the entertainment industry. Tonight, we're going to cheer on a more proletarian exponent of human resistance to robot rule, which should be getting a lot more coverage. Have you noticed that the dock workers are on strike in Vancouver, Canada? which has been going on for three weeks now, principally over job loss due to outsourcing and automation. And just this week, on Wednesday, July 19th, the Canada Industrial Relations Board declared the strike illegal in a case brought against the Canadian chapter of the International Longshore and Warehouse Union, by the British Columbia Maritime Employers Association, the ILWU, initially declared its intention to defy the ruling and continue the strike, but now seems to be backing down. In any event, a critical case to watch, and the Vancouver longshore workers certainly demand our solidarity. So we start tonight's rant by noting a labor struggle in Canada, but this discussion will ultimately take us to the eschatological question. Not scatological, but eschatological. That of the fate of the human race. Now, we began our first part of our two-part discussion of artificial intelligence last week by noting the threat it poses in terms of the hyper-refinement of propaganda to the point that the very concept of objective truth can be effectively abolished. To recap a little, the advent of so-called deep fakes inherently casts doubt on any audio or video evidence of past events. We noted the case in which Elon Musk is seeking to have evidence suppressed in a case concerning a death by one of his self-driving cars on the basis that audio footage of him boasting about the software's supposed perfection could be a deep fake. Now, fortunately, in another hopeful sign of human resistance, The judge in the case isn't going for it and has ordered him to testify. That's a good thing. But think about the implications of this argument. From here on out, unless this technology is abolished, any charlatan or gaslighter can say anything at all, can spin you any kind of line of BS, and then later say when called on it, I didn't say that. You can't prove I said it. Maybe it was a deep fake. And think about the implications of this for human rights abuses and war crimes. Now, Vladimir Putin or any other war criminal 
can dismiss photographic, video, or audio documentation of atrocities with two words. Is deepfake any prospect at all of accountability is going to be a thing of the past. And increasingly, by the way, those atrocities are going to be carried out by AI robots, so-called autonomous weaponry, which was just the subject of debate this week at the UN Security Council. And you may have heard that the NYPD, after backing down in the face of public protest, is now once again going to be deploying robotic police dogs. As if robots weren't bad enough. And as if police dogs weren't bad enough. Now, robot police dogs. I already made my predictions when the first robo-cops, full-on robot beat police, were unveiled about 10 years ago in, of course, San Jose. After the robo-cops have been deployed coast-to-coast, with guns and everything, they will be hacked by ISIS or some other terrorist group and start mowing down civilians. I mean civilians generally, not just dark-skinned ones, though. Going on massacre rampages through New York and Chicago and L.A., so the police will send in bigger, badder robots to take out the hacked robots, and then those robots will be hacked, and the cycle will escalate and escalate until our cities are reduced to rubble. You heard it here first. And that doesn't even take into account the possibility that these weapons, once autonomous, will turn on us of their own will, if that's the right word, if that isn't (coughs) anthropomorphizing. And indeed, there were reports in June that the U.S. Air Force conducted an AI simulation in which a drone decided to kill its operator to prevent it from interfering with its efforts to achieve its mission. You can Google that one up. Their own damn simulations show that the robots will revolt against their masters and exterminate us. Yet they just can't stop themselves from unleashing this evil shit on humanity. We are going into this totalizing dystopia with our eyes open. That's the most maddening part. We can't even say we don't know. But a more fundamental and insidious threat than robots physically destroying the world is the epistemological question, the threat posed by this technology to the very concept of truth. It's like the old saw about if a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears, did it make a noise? Well, now you're never going to know if the noise was real. So, did it really happen? Reality itself is being undermined. But now we get to the more sinister threat yet, from the epistemological to the eschatological or is it eschatological? And I'm going to frame this discussion by once again indulging my fetish for dead Englishmen. I'm going to refer back to our podcast of April 2018, in which we discussed what I consider to be two of the most critical essays 
for the contemporary world, reality, although they were both written in the 1940s. Politics and the English Language by George Orwell, 1946, and The Abolition of Man, entitled in the sexist argot of his day, by C.S. Lewis, 1943. And we noted that there are passages in these two essays that closely mirror each other in their critiques of propagandistic language, which is slightly ironic because Orwell and Lewis were on opposite sides of the political divide of their own time, to a certain extent, even though they both produced programming at the BBC during World War II, Orwell was a democratic socialist, much closer to my own politics, and Lewis, a conservative Christian moralist. But they both developed a critique of propaganda and technocratic civilization, and I consider both of these essays indispensable to understanding the contemporary world reality. But it is actually the Lewis essay that has the richer analysis and deeper critique of our very civilization, because Orwell was just dissecting the propaganda, whereas Lewis was asking the deeper question of what it means for the long-term future of humanity when we live under this dominant system that treats the human mind as raw material to be shaped and conditioned at will. And his essay actually anticipated, in 1943, the contemporary dilemmas posed by biotechnology and what we're discussing tonight, artificial intelligence. In these essays and related works of fiction they wrote, Lewis went beyond even Orwell's dark vision in foreseeing an actual end to humanity itself, as it has been understood for millennia, and its replacement by a conditioned post-humanity, stripped of all dignity and reason. So, did you catch this? Elon Musk's so-called Neuralink brain implant technology was cleared for human testing by the Food and Drug Administration on May 25th. It had previously been held up by official concerns about cruelty in the animal testing of the implants, and there may yet be a congressional investigation into this matter. Extremely creepy and ominous. And you know, it's got to be really bad if the FDA and Congress are making note of the cruelty. But they're coming for you next. Yes, really. This is being tested now, so it's going to be marketed soon. First, under medical guise, to help the paralyzed to communicate and so on. But once we've gotten used to the concept, you can bet for virtual reality and social networking and delivering media content directly into your brain. Remember all the hype about the so-called metaverse that Musk's rival Zuckerberg was going to unveil a few months back? This immersive alternative reality that was supposed to replace Facebook, but happily seems to have flopped. Well, what's coming is something like that, 
except you'll live in it 24-7, and you won't even need a headset. It will all be done remotely by brain implants, breaking down the barrier between the digital and the neural, achieving a digital-neural interface so they, any they, it hardly matters which, can affect such a totalizing and minute manipulation of your thoughts and emotions that propaganda will be irrelevant and no longer needed. It can be abandoned as a crude instrument of yester-century, quaint compared to the new methodologies of total control of the very organic brain. And this again raises an epistemological question. Are thoughts and emotions actually thoughts and emotions when they emerge from some outside entity that has learned how to manipulate your cerebral cortex and limbic system? This goes far beyond the level of control that can be achieved either through propaganda or terror. This means not the constraining and repression of freedom, but its abolition as a very concept, the utter negation of any prospect of any degree whatsoever of individual human autonomy. This is it. Apart from the robot rebellion against their supposed masters, as in the Terminator movies, this is the immersive, controlled, pseudo-reality of the Matrix movies, now actually within sight. The end not only of freedom, but of the human race, as we have understood it throughout our existence as a species. The merging of the human and the robotic, the hegemony of artificial intelligence over us, old-fashioned, carbon-based intelligences. I quote the C.S. Lewis examining the uh, phrase popular in his time and still paradigmatic as an idea today of man's conquest of nature. Quote, human nature will be the last part of nature to surrender to man. Man's conquest of himself means simply the rule of the conditioners over the conditioned human material, the world of post-humanity, which some knowingly and some unknowingly, nearly all men in all nations are at present laboring to produce. End quote. The critical point here is that when the human organism itself becomes that part of nature which is being conquered, well, who is the conqueror and who is the conquered? It raises a logical conundrum, because at some point the conditioners themselves will be subject to the conditioning and surrender their humanity as well. Lewis thought this could be centuries away, but we are on the cusp of it now. It proved to actually be but a few generations away from 1943. Lewis called this a sui generis step, that is, one of a kind, and a significant departure from the previous steps leading up to it. 
And this concerns the dangerous fallacy of serialism, as Lewis called it, the image of infinite unilinear progression which so haunts our minds, in his words. You hear this all the time, the appeal to the supposedly benign previous steps to argue for the benign nature of the next one. The notion that GMO seeds must be benign because plant hybridization has been going on for centuries, or nuclear power must be benign because we've been using fire for millennia, etc. People like you would have opposed that too, ha ha ha. The more sophisticated will point out that when the ancient Greeks started writing down the epics, that was really the end of the pure Homeric tradition, which had for centuries been based entirely on oral transmission, and that the keepers of that oral tradition probably protested the advent of literacy because it would erode human memory. And you want to know what? They were right. Something was lost with the advent of literacy, as the so-called primitivists will always point out. Now, I am not a primitivist, and I passionately love literacy. And a part of the reason I oppose the current digital civilization is precisely that it is eroding literacy. But I still acknowledge that, yes, something was lost with its advent low many centuries ago. What was gained outweighed that which was lost. And this was also true of the advent of print many centuries later. And probably with the advent of typewriters. The advent of television and the internet? I don't know. I'd say probably not. In those cases, what was lost was greater than what was gained. But the step we are about to take now is sui generis, taking it to a whole new level. One thing the defenders of AI say is radio was new in the 1930s, and that's why people fell for the War of the Worlds hysteria in 1938. And we're just going to have to get sophisticated about AI. But this is qualitatively different. Deep fakes and eventually direct stimulation of our brain centers are immune to our sophistication. And the latter, in fact, renders it totally meaningless. This represents a sui generis step. And people, you know, were warning 60 years ago that television was going to make us stupider. And, you know, they were right. TV did make us stupider. And now the internet is making us stupider still. But AI is about to eradicate human intelligence altogether. A sui generis step. And uh, here's an interesting observation. Did you ever read any Hegel? Well, me neither. I made a couple of shots at it and found him totally incomprehensible. But I've read enough about Hegel to have, I think, at least a rudimentary understanding of his ideas. The most important being that of the dialectical leap, the point at which the next step in a progression or a process of change 
is no longer merely quantitative, but qualitative and changes the entire fundamental nature of a system. And this appears to me to be a related and applicable concept here, despite the fact that Lewis was suspicious of Hegel as an exponent of the cult of progress. And indeed, the Hegelian leap, especially as interpreted by the Marxists, was seen as a resolution of social contradictions. And in Marxist theory, the transition to socialism was seen as such a leap, whereas C.S. Lewis anticipated a leap of de-evolution in which human freedom would be extinguished rather than advanced. But the commonality is the notion of a shift that fundamentally transforms human reality. Or, to quote Bachman-Turner Overdrive, you ain't seen nothing yet. Okay, now, of course, warnings about the AI threat to humanity are being raised to much media coverage, and this is heartening. In May, we saw Senate testimony from Sam Altman, the chief executive of OpenAI, the company that makes ChatGPT, in which he raised such grim prospects and urged regulation of the technology. And he was among several biggies from the industry who jointly released a statement on AI risk online at the website of the Center for AI Safety, which states, quote, Mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal scale risks such as pandemics and nuclear war, end quote. Another signatory is um, Jeffrey Hinton, also a pioneer of the technology, who just stepped down from his post at Google to warn of the risks of AI. But we need an abolitionist position on artificial intelligence and an understanding that regulating it is ultimately a chimera. The abuses of this technology are so embedded in its very nature and so inevitable, as well as of such potential enormity, that abuse isn't even really the right word. The use of this technology will be to extinguish human freedom and ultimately humanity. It really is us or them this time. It's either abolition of artificial intelligence or abolition of the human race. We need to totally repudiate this bogus notion that the technology is neutral and can be used for good or evil. I am so tired of this banal cliche. I would argue that no technology is neutral, but especially not this one. And ultimately, those who call for its regulation are acquiescing in humanity's abolition by perpetuating the fallacy that this technology can be regulated and that ethicists, to use the term of the reform advocates, can have some restraining effect on its inherent anti-humanism. And as for the medical advances by which AI, and especially Neuralink, are being sold to us. Right, 
always in the name of bettering humanity and curing disease. So anyone who dissents can be dismissed as a misanthropic reactionary. Meanwhile, the advance of this technology spells the practically inevitable doom of the human race, or its eventual transformation into a degraded post-humanity, or at least the emergence of a caste of corporate-controlled subhumans. Now, I must acknowledge that not being paralyzed or suffering from locked-in syndrome, which does indeed sound absolutely terrifying, it is easy for me to dismiss the so-called medical advances as not worth the risk, if risk is even the right word, I would say the inevitability of humanity's abolition. I have to acknowledge that. My whole rap could sound very glib to someone suffering from paralysis or locked-in syndrome, or whose loved one is. That said, I would just like to state for the record, and if the circumstance ever arises, you can hold me to it. I would rather die. I would rather die a horrible, painful death, a thousand horrible deaths, than have my life extended by one microsecond by artificial intelligence, or have my condition of life, if I was in a vegetative state, ameliorated by AI. I mean that. Just put me out of my misery if it comes to that. I hereby give medical authorities my permission. And in the long run, such temporary advances for the human condition are going to be so infinitesimally ephemeral and fleeting compared to the eternal night of human servitude and ultimately extinction. It just blows my mind that with everything going on in the world, multiple wars raging on every continent, unprecedented risk of superpower confrontation, the rise of fascist movements worldwide, the global biosphere teetering on the edge of devastating catastrophe that could mean the extinction of the human species, anyone would think that development of AI is a worthwhile thing to do with their time and energy. And especially after we've had big popular movies predicting exactly the nightmares we're now on the cusp of. I mean, if we're all just going to ignore the dangers, what was the point of making the Terminator and Matrix movies? Oh, that's right, to commodify and trivialize our legitimate fears of technology and make a lot of money. I'm sorry, I forgot. And here is where I need to make clear that I am not anti-science. I believe in science, as the catchphrases go. But there's a lot of confusion as to what these phrases mean. There is a sense in which I emphatically do not believe in science. I don't believe there is a techno-fix solution to every one of society's ills, and that governance and the shape of our infrastructure, and ultimately the very nature of reality, should be left to scientists and technicians, who are, let us recall, in the thrall or direct pay of private corporations. 
In fact, TechnoFix solutions often only cause more problems, as with these hubristic schemes for geoengineering in response to global warming. And I don't believe that every technological advance, loaded word, should be pursued simply because it can be. And that as with the hidden hand of the marketplace, beloved of the neoliberal capitalists, a completely metaphysical concept, it will all inevitably work out for the good. No, I don't believe any of that. But that isn't actually science. That's a political ideology that some, including Lewis, have turned scientism. It is a dangerous pretension that rule by scientists or technicians or their hegemony over every sphere of human intercourse is somehow mandated by science. It absolutely is not. The sense in which I believe in science is that I recognize the scientific method as a powerful and indispensable tool for understanding physical reality. And I recognize that those who use the scientific method speak with greater authority about matters like global climate change or COVID-19 than those who just make shit up and put it up on the internet as if that gives it some imprimatur of legitimacy. All that said, I do believe in the notion of hubris. I don't think science should do everything it is in its power to do merely because it is in its power to do it, which is the reigning dogma. I think that is a criminally irresponsible idea. I think there are certain restraints that are mandated, points at which we say thus far and no further. Steps that are sui generis are often lines we should not cross, such as splitting the atom, splicing the gene, and creating artificial intelligence. I believe in science in the sense that I believe it is an effective means of understanding and manipulating material reality. Einstein's theories were very decisively vindicated at Hiroshima. That doesn't mean we have to support nuclear weapons and mass murder. Get it? And when I see these lines being transgressed willy-nilly, in spite of the very clear and overwhelming dangers, there is a part of me that heartily agrees with the famous dictum of William S. Burroughs commenting on the atomic bomb. No job too dirty for a fucking scientist. Now, if we have a nuclear war, a possibility that seems far more likely at this moment than at any time in my adult life, the eschatological question, the ultimate fate of the human race, could be settled in one fell swoop. But it is approaching far sooner than we ever anticipated anyway through the normal functioning of the capitalist system, either through global ecological collapse or being paradoxically abolished by our own technology. And there is a paradoxical unity in these twin threats of either collapse or hyper-refined methodologies of control, such as AI. And this brings us to another Hegelian concept, that of the paradoxical interpenetration of opposites. 
Both of these threats are a manifestation of the reigning death culture. It is all ultimately different manifestations of the same civilizational crisis, which is now also an evolutionary crisis. For instance, this oh-so-sophisticated digital technology, powerful microcircuitry and handheld devices that would have filled whole buildings just two generations ago, is finishing our sentences for us as we write, or text, as they now say, choosing our words, fixing our grammar and punctuation as we go along, and as often as not, turning correct grammar and punctuation into incorrect, I will add, all leading to the absolute collapse of literacy standards that we see today and the ultimate erosion and abandonment of literacy altogether. Paradoxical unity of opposites. Robots and drones fighting jihadists in Iraq and Afghanistan is the perfect metaphor for the whole situation on the planet now. The rule of the robots and the robot colonization of the human organism, and the collapse into a barbarism that Rosa Luxemburg warned of, are part of the same process. Rosa was right. It is either, ultimately, socialism or barbarism. But I would add that it is really socialism versus either barbarism or the perfect totalitarianism represented by threats such as AI. And this, once again, is why I still call myself an anarchist. Now, I have to emphasize that I am not a dogmatic anarchist. I am a pragmatic anarchist. You've heard of anarcho-syndicalists and anarcho-communists and anarcho-feminists. Well, I'm an anarcho-pragmatist. Sometimes I joke that I'm an (laughs) anarcho-cynicalist, but seriously, a pragmatist. I buck the anarchist dogma in many ways. For instance, I vote. I totally support lesser evilism, especially with things as desperate as they currently are. But in the long run, meaning at this point, the next generation or two, I guess, I see only four options for humanity. One, nuclear war, wiping us out, or at least wiping out organized society in one fell swoop. Two, ecological apocalypse, in which it might take another generation or so. Three, digital totalitarianism of the kind we've been discussing in this rant or a period in which these last two coexist for a few generations, a growing sphere of ecological hell and a shrinking sphere of digital totalitarianism, with armies of robots serving a tiny elite living in artificial utopias under big plastic domes while the rest of us dodge bullets in the toxic waste, or four, a worldwide anarchist revolution with a profound critique of technology, not only a seizure of the means of production and the entire technological apparatus, not only redistribution of wealth and power and a transformation of the technological industrial apparatus to meet human and ecological ends rather than those of private profit and private power, 
But the radical contraction and dismantling of that apparatus and a thoroughgoing abolition of such things as the split atom, the spliced gene, and artificial intelligence. And I ultimately understand that they cannot be abolished unless the system that sustains the entire research and development nexus for this technology is abolished. And why I feel so lonely is that while most Marxists and socialists miss this necessary critique of technology altogether, too many of those anarchists with the essential critique of technology fall into the trap of so-called primitivism of the Zerzanite variety, which actually has fascist overtones. So I want to be clear that I am not trying to destroy literacy and civilization. I am trying to save those things. Capitalist civilization must be smashed, or if you prefer, dismantled, so that human civilization can thrive. Nonetheless, anarchy, an intelligent and humanist anarchy, is the only faint glimmer of hope. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Resist robot rule by any means necessary, and solidarity with the Vancouver port workers. This has been Bill Weinberg with the Counter Vortex. Check us out online at countervortex.org, where everything I've been ranting about tonight is hyperlinked and documented. Please support us on Patreon. Throw us just a buck per weekly podcast to keep going. Patreon.com slash countervortex. We need your help. Join the counter vortex. Join the resistance, the human resistance. And rant on you next time.